You're listening to Farm to Tabor. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Farm to Tabor, a farm and food systems podcast coming to you from Fayetteville, North Carolina. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Tabor. Hi there, and welcome to Farm to Tabor, a food systems podcast. This episode, we're covering an ongoing development in farm labor, a growing shift from immigrant labor to convict labor. Convict leasing is the South's second oldest tradition in exploitative farm labor. As seen in the recent film blockbuster Ragnarok, we don't like that S-word. They're not slaves, they're just prisoners with jobs. The prisoners with jobs labor strategy had a big heyday about a century ago, but it's been slowly returning to farms for a few decades now. Looking back on corn to tasseling, which again was my first job ever, I was the only kid on that entire crew who was there for an actual job. I gradually found out everyone else was there to fill out community service for juvie. Nonetheless, working on the farm was a great character-building experience for all of us, and I, for one, learned a lot of important life skills from my colleagues. For example, how to bribe the foreman with cigarettes if you're a legal minor who's been caught smoking on the job. Not one I've ever had occasion to use personally, but now I know what to do if it happens. Corn detasseling is a little bit of an oddity in the ag labor world. It only lasts a few weeks, and it happens in the Midwest, which is a long and expensive trip far away from the big circuit that migrant farm laborers typically take, California, Washington, Arizona, and Florida. That's why corn detasseling, unlike every other major ag job category by the 90s, was still hiring local high school kids. But even then, they couldn't find that many takers. So as a gig where it was tough to get immigrant labor, corn detasseling may have been a kind of bellwether of things to come in creative labor sourcing. Convict labor has justifiably been getting a lot of attention lately. There have been a number of good investigative pieces on it, so I don't want to retread what they've done here. What I do want to do is talk about prisoners doing farm work specifically. There aren't a lot of folks outside the farm sector who have a good feel for how farm jobs work, so I haven't been able to find much in the way of journalistic reporting on prisoners with farm jobs specifically, other than sometimes it happens. So here, I'm just going to talk about my personal experiences with convict labor as someone who's been working on those farms alongside convict crews. So first things first, working alongside convicts sounds badass, but it's not. Getting to go work on a farm is generally considered a reward for good behavior, and in many cases, it's not even an option given to violent or repeat offenders. Because here's the thing about farm labor, it's not like a factory where you can keep people on lockdown in a room or in a building. You have to let folks loose outside with farm tools like shovels all the way up to full-size tractors. Yes, we have had convicts driving tractors. Who else is going to do it? And you want to be confident that they're going to use them for the work they've been assigned instead of, say, murdering the foreman and running off. That's just not something you can do with violent offenders. Yes, chain gangs were used back in the day, but under current economic conditions, with the amount of automation that we have now, there's not actually a whole lot of useful work a string of people chained together can do. You need folks that you can just kind of leave somewhere and trust to more or less do a job. Modern farm labor is really more of a job for nonviolent offenders. My main personal experience with inmate crews, other than corn detasseling, was the University of Florida test farm. I was doing a postdoc, which is a, a junior scientist position where you work for a more senior scientist helping them run their research. And I was doing that with the program that breeds new blueberry varieties for Florida. 
That program was kind of a big deal. Uh, blueberry farming is big business in Florida now, but it wasn't possible until about 40 years ago. It used to be that there were blueberries that tasted good from bogs way up in New Jersey and Canada. And there were also wild blueberry relatives in Florida that could survive our heat and humidity, but they were tiny and dry and sour and not worth eating. The University of Florida spent a couple of decades breeding these two groups of blueberries together until we got bushes that could survive in Florida and still made fruit that tasted good. And that program's still going, working on getting better berries with better disease resistance, maybe better taste or survivability, further south in Florida where there are fewer frosts. Our blueberry plants were so popular with farmers, this program was the number two intellectual property revenue generator for the entire University of Florida system after Gatorade. Like any kind of farming, even though it was just for research, there were a few times a year when we needed a massive crew to get some kind of job done. We'd need to pick all the test cultivars on a certain day to get yield numbers, or every year we had a planting day where tens of thousands of new baby crosses would go from the nursery into the ground. The university had a test farm for this sort of thing. If you go and you look up standard agricultural info like, on this type of soil, how much fertilizer do you need to put on an acre of potatoes to get a good yield? We were the main test farm that did all that research for the state of Florida. The corn and soybean people could just have an employee go and combine it down and count the yield. That was pretty easy. But if it was a crop that was always hand-harvested, like sweet potatoes or blueberries, then you just need a big hand-picking crew. And that's where the convicts with jobs came in. Because it's run by the state and there'd been immigration crackdowns, the farm couldn't risk getting caught employing undocumented immigrants, so they contracted with the county prison system instead. So the crews that we worked with, there was both a men's prison and a women's prison they contracted out to the farm. They tended to be nonviolent offenders. Most of the people were there on minor drug charges for 30 to 90 days, mostly in the 18 to 25 age range, just locals from the county, and the guys all had a kid and a baby mama that they should have been working to support, and technically they were working, but the state was pocketing all the cash from their work contracts. And the inmates could be really funny sometimes. Like, one time we've got this crew from the men's prison, and usually they would keep the men's and women's crews really far apart to prevent drama and, like, pregnancies. But this time, the women's prison crew was just a few hundred yards away, so you could see them. And the guy next to me looks wistfully off of the distance, and he says, I don't know why they won't let us work together. And I said, Jimmy, you know why. Another thing that was funny, um, every time you would drive out to this test farm, you pass this sign saying, all caps, now entering Marion County, a zero-tolerance drug-free zone. And you just kind of look at that and think, huh. I wonder if whoever made that rules got any relation to the folks running the pokey. So here's the thing about petty local nonviolent offenders, especially where we were, again, Marion County, far northern Florida, pretty Caucasian, so most of the prison crews were the same. How to say this nicely? Um, think about the kind of folks who get arrested at 22 in their hometown on minor drug charges and wind up with a plea deal taking them to prison while white. They're never from the families with money, nor are they like just the most dynamic individuals in the county. There are a lot of just weed and Xbox-centered lifestyles showing up. So on the one hand, these are not hardened criminals at all. I think there was a very dubious case for these people being imprisoned in the first place. And also on the other hand, God bless them, not super experienced in the manual labor department. So the biggest complaint about the prison crews wasn't that they were jerks or bad dudes or desperados with a thirst for vengeance. 
the biggest complaint from the non-convicts working with them on the farm was, these guys don't work. They are not good workers. There was this real attitude of, we're doing these guys a favor by letting them come work for us, and they owe it to us to return that favor. Which is, I guess, great in theory. It's better than sitting around the cell block all day. But let's also think through this. What kind of reason is there for someone working down a prison sentence to work hard? Are they going to get paid more? Absolutely not. Or I suppose maybe they could get a really great job reference. Here's a recommendation letter from my prison warden because I worked super hard when I was in the slammer. Uh-uh, that's not going to happen either. Those guys are literally just there to get out of the cell block. So once they show up to the farm, that mission is accomplished. And I was just really surprised at some of my colleagues' ability to believe that they were going to get great work out of sleepy weed and Xbox dudes who got dragooned into picking sweet potatoes through the force of this state, which to me just really seems like a fantasy. The thing was, most of my colleagues had also worked elsewhere in their lives out in the real world of agriculture, with crews, again, mostly made of immigrant workers. These crews are made up of people who, for one thing, are getting paid, and it was by the pound, so there's a reason to get her done and keep moving quickly. Second thing, working fast on a harvest is a skill that takes a lot of time to lock down, especially for something on your hands and knees like sweet potatoes or with planting baby blueberry plants, which is another thing we did a lot of. If you're going to do it fast, it's not just your hands, and if you're going to work all day, it's your whole body. You have to find a couple of different positions that work so you don't fry up from doing one stance all day. And each one has its own rhythms and balance to it, so you have to kind of lock down the muscle memory for each one. So you can do it on this loose, lumpy ground without falling over. And it's also not just you. You're pretty close to all these other people in the crew. So you have to do all that while watching everyone else out of the corner of your eye. Not just where they are right now, but where they're about to go so that you don't knock into each other. And keep an eye out if we're about to run out of boxes, or if they're moving the truck now so you can plan your route around the other guys to dump your next bucket. And you have to do all of that again while hauling those heavy buckets around, and it's 95 degrees and 98% humidity with no shade in sight, and you've been jumping up and down in that for hours with heavy buckets, so now you've got tunnel vision and can barely remember your own name. Working on a farm crew is a skill. You have to get your body and your mind trained. When you watch crews that have been working together for a while, where everyone in that crew has kind of had that experience, they've locked it down. So if that kind of tight, experienced crew is what you're used to working with, then yeah, inmate crews can be really disappointing. We, the students and the junior scientists in that program, really lucked out working on the farm because we had a field manager for that blueberry program, a guy named David. Uh, showing us how to work without hurting ourselves. Now, David was in his 50s and had been working outdoors his entire life, and he could still get down on his hands and knees and get stuff done faster than we could when we were in our 20s. The guy had skills, and he was really good at passing those on and making sure that we knew how to work so that we could keep going all day, even if we weren't as fast as he was. And a lot of the folks on the immigrant crews may also have somebody like this in their life. You have parents or siblings or a cousin or just a buddy on the crew who's done this for a while and can kind of show you how to do it. Or even if they're not showing you on purpose, you can just watch them. And these folks on the prison crews had clearly never had that. You could just kind of tell by watching. I mean, yes, they'd probably done some yard work with dad or something like that, but breaking the leaves with somebody occasionally versus learning how to do something all day, all the time, you know, uh, is, are two very different things. 
again, it's almost like suburban dads yelling at their kids about hard work versus actually knowing how to do hard work and having the skills and passing them on are just two very different things. I think that was very clear to see in, in the two different types of crews that we had. So anyhow, if we're talking prison crews who got into farm work by accident versus crews of immigrants who came to this country on purpose specifically to work on farms, on paper, it's the same thing. 30 people for picking berries. In real life, completely different. And it's not because of genetics or anything like that. There is not a gene for being good at picking tomatoes. That is completely down to experience and skill and just people having very different paths in life that took them into that farm job. This was really brought home one day when we had an inmate crew where one of the guys actually was an immigrant with a farm work background. The story was he'd been doing some kind of landscaping contracting. He'd driven across the street in his lawn tractor to get something and then got pulled over for driving without a license. And that's how he got here. That was the story. So whatever it was, uh... That guy was getting as much done as five of the other dudes on the crew. That day we were planting an acre of blueberry plants, just the little nursery babies, about six inches apart. So the way that works is the day before, somebody will take a tractor and dig a bunch of little trenches about six inches apart, and we'd stick the baby plants in the trench and cover them up. So most of the inmates in this would be kind of lost. They keep stepping on the baby plants that we just planted. Meanwhile, this guy's just bam, 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 just chucking little plants in the ground at just the right depth and spacing and angle and closing it up. This guy was like a human zipper, just across the field. And all of my conventionally employed colleagues in the blueberry program are going, we love this guy. Can we get him for our next job too? Like bugging the foreman to make sure we could reserve him or something for the next day. So this would have been around 2012, 2013, which was around the time that Joe Arpaio down in Arizona was getting on the national news for his really aggressive program of seeking out immigrants, jailing them in totally legal tent cities, and then hiring them out for work. And my coworkers went in one day from just really kind of hating working with inmate crews to all of a sudden lighting it up and just really loving them now that this one guy's here and they're telling the warden how great he is and can he please come back and I'm watching this whole thing go down like, oh my stars and stripes, this is how it happens. So if anybody's been following me on Twitter for a while, you will have heard this before, but the short version is we have three trends going on right now. We've got the increasing use of inmates for farm labor. We've got growing crackdowns on immigration and we've got growth in these jail-adjacent things like rehabilitation, quote-unquote, programs that you can opt into to avoid a jail sentence for low-risk offenses like minor drug charges, or perhaps immigration paperwork where you can work for somebody else's business for free or close to it that are really tempting to poor folks who can't afford bail, a criminal record, or a good lawyer. Immigrants are especially easy to lock up because a right to due process is not guaranteed, and a single minor drug charge can be used to justify long detention times. So just a quick word on how farm labor works. Most farmers don't hire their own employees in-house. They just rent crews from somebody else. So there's a lot of companies out there that make their living by finding people to work on a farm and just bringing them on over. So if I'm one of those contractors right now, if I'm running labor crews and I'm trying to find a way to keep my clients happy these days, I'm having quite a bit of trouble because immigration from Mexico and other places that we've been sourcing our farm labor from have been declining for years. But I still need to find a way to keep my clients supplied with good workers, or at least some kind of workers. 
It needs to be said that partnering with local prisons, detention centers, and other jail-like objects would be a really good way to solve that problem. And the profit potential would have to be at least adequate because you're not required to pay people in prison. You don't even have to pay for room and board because the taxpayers are doing that. Yes, you'd have to pay a detention center for a contract, and you'd have to pay your own foreman, but you have to pay your foreman anyway. And again, a lot of the cost of supporting those laborers, you know, with room and board are already covered by the taxpayer. So in terms of a cheap labor source, there's potential there. Is that currently the main source of labor being used uh, in agriculture? No, at this point, it's still primarily immigrants. Um, but do we have the ingredients for a shift to convict labor? And is it already occurring in bits and pieces here and there? Absolutely. That is already happening. So in terms of new trends in unsustainable agriculture, I think that's something we really need to keep an eye out for. Uh, the field of agriculture has always shown itself more than ready to be creative when it comes to meeting labor sourcing needs, always more than willing to be pretty shady. So again, when we're talking sustainable agriculture, we need to be talking sustainable livelihoods as part of that, and, and that includes the workers. Building a prison-to-farm pipeline is not sustainable livelihoods, and it's just a terrible idea for society in general. You have a big incentive structure built to put people in prison for very petty offenses, uh, explicitly for petty offenses. It gives the state a lot of motivation to slap people with a criminal record that's going to stay with them for life. And then the cost of all that quote-unquote cheap labor is borne primarily by the public through taxation. It's a labor model that's fair to absolutely nobody, and it's already being used in places. It's not a hypothetical. I have worked personally with these crews. Bottom line, agriculture's demand for cheap labor has huge sway in national policy, from how immigration laws are shaped to who's legally considered a human being with rights covered by the Constitution. Never underestimate its power to find new avenues to be shady and its creativity in exploring them. Well, on that delightful note, that is it for Farm to Tabor today, and remember to vote. Please join us next time for an interview with Dr. Brandon Ross, a structural engineer. We're going to have some thoughts on indoor agriculture, a great opportunity to build better jobs and livelihoods in farming, if you do it right. Catch you next time. Special thanks to Revolutionary Coworking in Fayetteville, North Carolina for recording space, and to Lauren Harris for audio production.